Hi everyone, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I just wanted to give a shout out to all of our sponsors. It's been incredible working with each of you. Without you, we wouldn't be able to complete the projects that we have and get our seeds in the ground for this year's fiber variety trials. So thank you for everything that you've contributed. For anybody else, if you're interested in getting involved and want to contribute or sponsor, please reach out. We can make it happen. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Mandy. Are you good? We were we were playing with sound earlier this morning. So welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for chiming in and joining today. If you have any questions about today's topic, we'd love to hear them. Uh, thank you very much, Jay. It's great to see you. Uh, thanks for always saying hello. I hope things are good for you. Uh, but I just want to real quick, I want to dive into this topic and into uh, hemp as animal feed or fish feed in particular and what Dr. Craig's been working on. Um, but before we do start, Craig, give us a little background about who you are, what you do and how you got into this industry. Yeah, um, so I've been in the industry since I started in Kentucky in 2014. So uh, I've been doing this for a bit. But before that, uh, my background's really in uh, a lot of things plants. Um, I did my undergrad and master's degrees at Purdue University uh, in horticulture science, plant genetics and breeding for my undergrad. And then I did a master's in plant pathology um, because I was really have, having an interest in, in um, plant-made products. Uh, and then I went to the University of Kentucky to do my PhD, where I was working with a medicinal plant called Madagascar periwinkle, which produces some anti-cancer drugs. And so when I was there, it was in the middle of my PhD program, and the 2014 Farm Bill happened. And, you know, there was a huge interest in hemp in Kentucky at the point in time. And yeah. so I kind of just got, I got involved right at the start because our lab worked with plant-made compounds. So the cannabinoids were particularly interesting at that time. There's still some uh, pathway steps and stuff that weren't known uh, for the synthesis of like CBD and, or cannabidiol and THC. Yeah. Um, and, but I was particularly fascinated with all the grain and fiber applications. And so it was just a, a multi-use uh, plant. And there was just so many things I could see being done with it. And that really was interesting to me where I've worked with many different plants over the course of my life. Uh, and so I like all aspects of plants from, you know, field agronomy to horticulture side um, to production and processing and all those all those components of agriculture. So this was really an opportunity um, and interest to me because there were so many things that could be done with it. Um, and yeah. there's so many, and, and more importantly, I, I've always been interested in research. And so it, there's so many things we didn't know and still don't know, uh, which makes it 
a lot of fun for research because we get to ask a lot of these questions and try to find answers to some of these really important problems that the industry uh, faces. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're currently working on a pretty pretty good sized grant and research around uh, hemp as fish food, right? Can you talk a little bit about what the grant is for and what what are some of the key things you guys are studying and looking at? Yeah. So I'm currently a research assistant professor of natural products at Central State University, which is a uh, historically black college located in Southwest Ohio. Um, and so for those of you that are, are not aware, we're about halfway between Columbus, Ohio and Cincinnati, Ohio, okay. um, in the, in that general vicinity. And, um, so I have a number of projects going on and this is, this is a project, um, looking at fish feed or hemp grain as a potential ingredient for fish feed. Um, and so this is a project led by my colleague at Central State, uh, Dr. Brandy Phipps. Uh, we have partners um, with um, a tribal college in Wisconsin, the College of Menominee Nation. Uh, we're also working with uh, Kentucky State University, which is another HBCU, University of Kentucky, uh, and um, University of Arkansas and Mississippi State University. So we have a number of partners on the project. It is it's a large project. It's a $10 million uh, grant that we've received um, to look at this. And this was uh, through competitive funding provided by the USDA. And it's really, uh, you know, I think, I think their interest in it was that this is something that could help multiple avenues, um, not just within the hemp space, but also within the aquaculture space. And so um, there, there's a number of people working on hemp as a feed ingredient for different animals. You know, um, multiple people have been involved with the um, Hemp Feed Coalition and their work for the chicken application that's went in for, uh, for chickens. Uh, there's people working in Kansas State, uh, working on cattle, Oregon's working uh, on some work, as, as well as others. And, but we took the approach to look at fish. And we see that as being, we, we took that approach because one of the challenges with fish production, aquaculture production, um, particularly of carnivorous fish like trout, which is a fish we're working with, mm -hmm. it, the diet requires fish meal and fish oil. And those are very unsustainable products that are being used in feed because basically all of that is coming from wild caught fish species that their stocks are massively depleted, being depleted um, at a global or an international level all across the globe. Yeah. And if we run out of them, that's going to that's gonna not only be bad for the aquaculture industry, it's going to be devastating on our ocean ecosystems. And so we really, as an aquaculture industry, we really have to find alternative sources for that protein. And so one of the approaches people have looked at has been and has considered is to address this issue is really looking at uh, what we call vegetable oils, vegetable proteins, which are basically plant-derived. Um, you could get, you know, there's other work being done looking at um, insects and in feeds for protein and, um, you know, other animal byproducts and stuff. But at this, uh, you know, really there's, there's a keen interest on trying to find a plant source so we could feed these animals um, for production and so we could shift them off of this really unsustainable source. And so, you know, we always hear hemp as being a sustainable um, crop. Uh, and this is just one other way that this could be, you know, increase sustainability. And it's not directly by the hemp itself and its production. It's the removing another um, unsustainable product out of the system. And so um, that's, you know, the overarching goal of what we're trying to do is basically doing, uh, studies that will evaluate whether this ingredient 
uh, can work as a fish feed. And again, we're specifically looking at rainbow trout to start with. Um, but you know, once we that that door opens, we'll be able to expand to other other fish species as well. Um, so it's but what we want to do is do all the studies that would require be required for um, AAFCO and FDA CVM approval, which is what's required to get a feed ingredient to um, for for commercial production processes. Okay, what are some what are some of the things that you've found that have really been uh, there's a lot of research I think that can be done, right? Where we want to meet 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 AFCO and meet some of these um, regulators, you know, with the information they need so that they can approve it. What are what's some of the information that you guys have found or are really looking at that would help to potentially move this process along? Yeah, so um, I'll st- well I'll start with you know this is a five year project. We've, we've, we're a year into the project. Um, we At this point in time, we were hoping to have, you know, what the plan was to have some digestibility studies started and, and so be able to start getting some of that information. At, but what we found was um, to get some of the, um, we, ne- we need to process the hemp in ways that are a little different than other uh, more conventional approaches. And so, um, you know, we want to, and by that, um, also fish, particularly trout, they like a low fiber diet because they're not, they're meant for eating bugs, other yeah. fish and things like that. Plants aren't part of their normal diet. So fiber is not usually in there. And so we want to make, so we're going to be looking at the hemp seed oil, um, but really uh, we're the protein product that we want to look at is dehulled hearts and be able, and doing that with the fat still in them and doing that with the fat removed from those and we're we've been working on it took a while to get a dehuller here um, because to do we're not a commercial operation yeah. so to buy a commercial outfit you know that's uh you know, there's places in the U.S. that sell those things, but then there's also um, from a, more of a we need more than a benchwork lab experiment. So we had to find a kind of a middle ground, mm-hmm. and the only place we could find a dehuller of that capacity was from China. And so we had to ship that here. Uh, we've been trying to get. Um, so then the next problem we run into was, you know, we we're hoping, and that we could, you know, we feed that to get the to defat the hearts um but as many people have told us and we also realized that that just doesn't work so we're using uh, we moved to a hydraulic pressing mechanism and we spent six months trying to get that a, a hydraulic press of a substantial size in that same category from china as well because there wasn't anything in that range only for it to have apparently never arrived here um and so now we're actually designing something um, and building, we're taking, um, modifying, working shop press uh, to develop something that will make a, you know, we'll test, but we'll also, it'll give a, we'll publish blueprints on how that can be made. So anybody in the U.S. that wants to do this type of work could do it. Um, and so these pieces of equipment could be more accessible stateside. Um, so we haven't got into any of the actual studies yet because we're still working on the technologies to make the processing feasible to get the product that we know the fish are going to need because uh, there's a lot of work being done on other animals with the seed cake or the residual after it's been uh, extruded out of the the oil presses Um, but that contains the it contains a protein but also contains all the hulls which is where all that fiber is located and so that's just not a problem we, we're not even bothering to test that product because we just know it's not going to work. Um, it's way too much fiber for what these animals can tolerate. Um, what about the economics of it, right? I mean, a dehold hemp heart is probably more spendy than the holes with fiber. So talk to me about like the economics of 
this is a viable more sustainable. Yeah, so that's that's part of what you know this whole proposal entails. Aside from just doing the research studies, it's the research to understand the economics of it. And so we're working with um, actually three different economists as part of the projects, and that's really some of our partners outside of central states. We're working with them. Um, Tyler Mark at the University of Kentucky is real no, well known for his he, hemp economics, and he's working yeah. with um, you know the production side of it and what how that could potentially impact things. We're working with uh, um, Dr. Brandon McFadden at the he's now at the University of Arkansas was at University of Delaware, and help it working with him on the consumer side of okay if these fish would cost a little more, are people willing to pay for them? If so, what would be the scenarios related with that? And then we're working with um, Sung Yoon, uh, Dr. Sung Yoon at the University of Mississippi, or sorry, Mississippi State University. Um, I don't know how you keep them straight. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's what, yeah, it's uh, Mississippi State. And um, he is, uh, it's eco his area of expertise is technically ecosystem uh, valuation. Um, we like to say he does the ecosystem economics. So how yeah. what we do in the process, if, how that impact the value dollar values associated with the impacts on water quality, land use, all those kinds of things that play into the sustainable aspect of it, and so. We're going to be looking at all of that to, to really understand it. Um, but currently, the, the system we're designing, you know, the, the D hauler we got, you know, it's going to have a we're, we're trying to make this. So if somebody wants to be a small scale processor for fish feed, that this is this is a feasible option for them. And so right now, you know, we've got including getting the uh, the D hauler shipped from China, you know, that's got a capacity. We haven't run the max capacity on, but supposedly uh, multiple, you know, several hundred kilos an hour of processing capacity, of which, uh, and and you know, it was like four is about four thousand dollars to get it, including the basically two thousand dollars to get it shipped here. Right, uh, it's about as much in shipping as it was the actual machine. Right, um, and then the the press that we're designing. While it'd be more expensive than the Chinese version, we're you're working to keep that under ten thousand um, to to do that and have the processing capacity of again you know eat do about six six lots every um, hour and that would be so about every ten minute cycle and do a batch of um, you know about ten kilograms uh, at a time to defat. Um, if we could, if we could do the defat, and we're, we're interested in that because that allows us to get just that protein without the fiber, but then also do it with, um, so we can incorporate more into the diet um, instead of if we max out the capacity with the full fat. In those fat diets. first, sure. So, um, so we're taking, so we're looking at those three products: the oil um, by itself, just to see how that impacts, but also then the the deep. The, the hearts with the fat still in them and the defatted hearts. So it's really going to be interesting to see how much we can put in there. Um, um, and then we're going to do these, we're going to start with digestibility trials, working with Kentucky State really in their expertise in aquaculture um, mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and then we're going to do some gross studies looking at um, uh, how it impacts a number of uh, growth parameters throughout a feeding cycle. Um, with different varied diets and seeing, um, and then we'll look at, you know, things that the FDA, CVM and stuff in AFCO are interested in is, you know, the anal chemical analysis of all the parts, um, both of the raw ingredients, the processed feed that we're going to be making, um, and, it, and then the extruder will be extruding that feed um, uh, with the, at Kentucky State, and then, um, and then we'll have uh, evaluations of all the fish tissue. Uh, and so doing a number of uh, metrics there. And, you know, the, the are goal you looking is at, like how long, say, cannabinoids, if they are in the system, how long they're in the meat, how long they're in the tissue. 
Yeah, that's that's one thing that um, we're keenly interested on that we'll be doing as part of the project. So the dietary, the growth cycle, that's those are pretty much general things associated with any feed that's going to be need to be known for approval. But you hit on exactly the concern that we see that that's what the FDA and AFCO, well, really the FDA wants to know. I don't think AFCO has some interest in it, but it's really FDA that's interested in if there's any residual in in the animals eating um, these ingredients, so you know, if we're consuming them unknowingly, yeah, yeah, because if we're consuming them, if they're there, a consumer that doesn't know how they were fed doesn't necessarily get a say in what what's there. Um, they're just eating. They're just they would be getting them. Now we've done some preliminary calculations based on diets and you know what we know to be um on these products so you know this is hemp seed and oil unto itself you know the 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 cannabinoids are produced on the that brack that surrounds the seed the seed um was not it does not itself have cannabinoids on it but it can get that transfer from that brack as a contaminant and so part of that's a handling issue Mm -hmm. um and, and a seed cleaning issue um but if it gets on there you know we've done calculations based on what it's allowed in in food and and based on the feeding rates for trout and and it's possible that could accumulate but we really don't think that's gonna be the case um uh which is why you know we're, we're really interested but so kentucky state's really doing a lot of the traditional um digestibility grow trials for us and we're working with Dr. Voldemort Rossi down there. Uh, we're do it we're focusing a lot more on the profiling of all the the raw ingredients, the processed feeds, stability of those um, of the feed in different scenarios and then looking at these cannabinoid transference. And so there we've got to develop a number of protocols for, testing for those things because when we evaluate compounds you can't just say well we have testing protocols for cannabis flower and use that for fish tissue because you got to make sure and do confirmation studies to make sure that you could extract those compounds out of the matrix that it's in because matrix often interact with compounds in a funky way and you may not you may use the same extraction process but it may not pull everything out and so we want to get it, make sure we get a realistic view of what's there. And FDA is always very concerned about that. We work with the FDA on uh, another project we have related to smoked and vaped hemp products, which is a completely different area. Um, and so we we and we engage with them on a regular basis as part of that contract. And and so we kind of understand you know the questions they we expect them to ask as part of the feed application and it. Um, they, they're very technical because it's an organization of scientists and, you know, the USDA has a lot of people from different areas, growers, processors, you know, you name it. It's like the hemp industry, very, very broad. Mm -hmm. But the people on FDA, even though they have different backgrounds, they're all scientists and all understand chemistry. And, right. um, and so it's um, when we work with them, we we get a sense of those questions and so we knew going in cannabinoids were going to be a concern for them a lot of times we get a lot of people in industry and it's like well they're not there or you know seeds don't have them yeah it depends on how you detect them though <laughs> you could say it's not there but if you have a sensitive enough instrument you will find stuff um well, and we have that, that leads to, to my next question right is what's acceptable like we're all consuming microplastics in our fish and it's yeah, so that's that's a that's a kind of almost I'd say almost a loaded question because the answer yeah. is we don't know that, and that's what has to be kind of determined here. And FDA doesn't have a There's good handle no on on this at this point in time of what should that limit be because when we're consuming animal products and this is this is the challenge they face with these questions is um they're coming at it as if we're so the grass certified product or the 
grass hemp products that we have access to, they have limits that have been set. But people aren't eating those, pro those aren't assumed to be products eaten every single day all the time usually when they evaluated those. Whereas meat may be, and, and maybe not so much fish, but you know when you get into chicken and pork and stuff like that, you know most people are eating some of those on a daily basis. And so what is the appropriate level to do that? And part of the recommendation when we go to put in a, 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 a request to allow this as a feed ingredient, you know, we, when we see that, we see that's where it's going, if all the data points that way, lets us pursue that option, then we're, we got to kind of give them a say, we think this is a, a reasonable level that should be allowed in the fish um, and, you know, based off of a number of different parameters, both what's in the fish, how frequently people are expected to be eating that fish with that ingredient and or, or fed these diets. It, it's a complicated question unto itself. Um, and there yeah. was a recent uh, conference with the, the, the Hemp uh, Feed Coalition Oregon State yeah. put on, and there was a lot of discussion around this exact point. Um, yeah. Because the grass products are different in how they're consumed than animal products that might contain these, we don't have a reference point. And that's a lot of the problem, really, is figuring out what those reference points are. If we, if we had a level and said, we have to meet this, our work would be a lot easier. Because we could say, okay, as long as it's under this, we're fine. No so big what deal. are things specifically that that are being looked at to evaluate this? You know, where do we, what specific data points, yeah, really help support and or so baseline? Yeah, right that, that, is a, that is a good question. And I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And I think we need to come at, at them from a lot of different ways to make that ultimately uh, easier. The way we're gonna pursue this with our our research is that you know we're we're looking at fish or we're going to look at how frequently fish are usually consumed and based off of that we're going to try to hit and then we're going to we're going to take the grass recommendations and say okay this is what is allowed because this was deemed appropriate and we're going to try to see if you know how those how those merge together in the sense of okay if you eat this much fish do you exceed the amount you would be getting from these grass products if you ate them at this rate um that the fda is deemed and fun. after so long right is there a way and after, and after so long because the, the other way around that is to do very extensive long-term studies on sure. human tolerance to cannabinoid use well, uh, it gets into a whole the whole thing that the FDA deals with on the CBD products and stuff. Even even what I learned at the hemp feed event at Oregon State was the weaning period, right? If if we stop feeding them hemp products or CBD, because the, a lot of the studies they presented were like only flour or concentrate, you know, on a much higher level of cannabinoid concentration. Yeah, and those and those are be, those products are interesting from a different perspective, you know. Totally. So I know there's work for, I think it's I believe it's milk cows with Oregon State that they're looking at the feeding the spent um, extracted flour. Yeah. To me, that's gonna, in my personal opinion, that's a risky product to start with because you're yeah. already no matter how you extract, you're already starting with high levels of cannabinoids. You're gonna have to deal with in that residual. Whereas the grain is not doesn't have that problem, you know, the the stock on the fiber is probably not going to provide a whole lot of nutritional value unto itself, um, just because it's it's a lot of fiber. It's you know it's it's used as which a are great for some animals. That's right. great. Well, yes, it's great for some animals. Um, it's not necessarily nutritious for a lot of them without other protein right. and stuff right. in it. So the star, so it's coming from the leaves and the flower, and those are where your your trichomes are at. So to me, really, that's the safest start point is those is those seeds. 
Um, but those other studies relating with flour will show how much, how they're going to be real good on showing how fast stuff clears animal systems to get what you said, where if we stop feeding at a certain date, then, then you know, that, that the safe. product can still be safe. Yes. That is an approach, but I also recall from that same meeting <laughs> that we were in there that the concern from the FDA side is it doesn't seem like that's an approach often done. And right. because right. In the, and so that would be a new kind of approach and it, for feed approval. And it's also, and I could see why, because that one is you're at the mercy of trusting that the, uh, without a rigorous testing program for those meat products in place, animal products in place, you're at the mercy of the grower saying they did what they said they did. Are uh, there other meats though that are, or other drugs, right? Or, or pro material products that are, that have that weaning period? That was my understanding. Drugs do, right. drugs do, but as far as feed ingredients, I don't know that's beyond my, Background. I'm the plant. I'm a plant person, not an animal person by background. So that, that's a question. That's a very interesting question, but that's a little, that's beyond me to be able to answer. I don't know if other feeds are like that, but I do know drugs are um, yeah. because you can you can only give, and the same goes in plants and stuff that on food crops that you can only spray pesticides so many days before before that um, crop is harvested. But those programs usually. In most cases, there's some random testing of lots to make sure things are compliant in those systems and pesticides are not detected. Okay, so it's you, there's going through some analytical chemistry to confirm things there. It's kind of analogous to, you know, you're not of using pesticides in hemp flower production for smoked flour. Right. There's labs out there that, you know, there's states that they random, while they don't necessarily say what they do, they randomly test some products coming in that they're evaluating for THC for pesticide residue as well. Mm -hmm. I know Kentucky's done that. I know Ohio does that. They don't test every plant, but they test random batches to make sure things are um, not testing positive for pesticides. So can you talk to me a little bit about like the genetic profile that you are looking at? Like what's important in the genetics and seed profile for fish food? Yeah, so the, the genetic profile is going to be, you know, obviously we're focused on grain varieties or dual, what could be dual purpose varieties. We're not looking at grains that are coming out of high cannabinoid backgrounds because the risk of them being contaminated with high levels of THC, CBD that are going to be potentially right. problematic right. in the final ingredient is much right. higher. Um, so when it, are you looking when it comes at like, like an yeah. omega, a good omega six compared to a three, for example. Yeah. So I, I was going to get to that. That was, so the omega three um, for most varieties there's variation within hemp, but the fatty acid profiles and the amount of protein within varieties is fairly similar. There, there's a range, you know, plus minus five, 10% either way. We're not necessarily selecting uh, based on, you know, developing a feed on that. What we're, we're more interested in is how much of that protein's in that total diet. Okay. So if you have a variety that gives you as higher in protein content and you're making use defatting it and using that protein in the feed you're just going to use you're going to have more protein in what you're extracting so you're not going to have to extract quite as much but again most of the genetic profiles are fairly close um, there's a bigger variation in that cannabinoid profile and and that's something that's um, because it could be a contaminant, something that's more of a concern. Um, so, so that's why grain fiber varieties, dual traditional dual purpose European varieties, those, all of those um, we're looking at. We're gonna we're actually doing a variety trial with this, where we're putting out twenty different lines uh, to evaluate all the, um, the amino acid compositions, the fatty acid profiles. Um, 
the um, uh, fiber contents, <laughs> the, the um, anti-nutrient factors in it. So the big one there would be phytate, but we're also interested in another a number of other components. And so we're going to do an analysis of all those varieties based on some of the work that's out there that's looked at varieties, different varieties and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we expect them to fall within a certain range, all within a certain range and stuff. But what's a little different about the variety trial that we're going to do um, versus some of what's been done is, you know, one more the robustness of it on the, the comprehensiveness of it. Although there's a couple of good studies about that. Um, but we've intentionally selected very diverse germplasm. So I've got stuff that's from Canada or, or varieties developed in Canada, Europe, different parts of Europe. Um, I've got stuff from China uh, and I've got a American lines, as many of the American lines as we can get a hold of. Yeah. Um, and because that's, you know, ultimately what I think what's bred in the U.S. is ultimately what's going to be grown best in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely getting those varieties evaluated, which haven't been evaluated before. Yeah, um, but we're also trying because of I was talking about the the cannabinoid variation. Um, there is a unique aspect of varieties being developed that is called triple crops, where they're looking at the grain, the seeds, and the the cannabinoid profile. Um, I won't get into the uh, feasibilities of doing those versus single use ones. But we're we have at least one of those we're trying to include in the, or we're going to include in the study. Um, so then we have a reference point for okay, when we harvest these, how much residual is winding up on the seed coat from something that has a higher T or a higher CBD content, THC that's content? Because that's going to inform great. us about the contamination potential. Mm -hmm. um, and that one's actually going to be a tricky little seed to work with um, because that variety that we have. Um, there's a grower in Ohio that has that um, Colorado-based uh, tri-crop uh, tri type, and um, he's he's working with us to provide the seed for the study, and it's a really small seed <laughs> um, compared to even even the European type, um, and then that's that looks small compared to some of these Chinese varieties, which is small seed compared seed. to the traditional grain of corn, soybean. You know, they're. I, we've got a variety that's almost up to the size of a soybean in the seed size. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, we've got it's a massive variation size. So it, we, we, what we were going for is maximum diversity. A lot of the collection, the studies out there of like, okay, well, this is stuff out of a Canadian, Canadian varieties, out of a Canadian breeding program and breeding lines that, or unnamed that were tested, or uh, particularly European germplasm that's been evaluated. Sometimes that gets thrown with some Canadian stuff. Um, there's a little work about done about the Chinese, but you know, really throwing those all into the same mix. Um, there's not a lot of good um, good data on that um, at this point. You know, you can piece it from different articles, but um, we just want to see that variation. The tri crop is going to be really. Uh, interesting interesting addition to this to see what happens unfortunately our trial this year we planted our trial this year and um re nothing came up we replanted it nothing came up again learned out that uh there was a two-year herbicide carryover issue that was keeping we, from doing it so um we, we took the list from some stuff that uh wisconsin university of wisconsin's done some work on herbicide carryover and there was a list our um a, yeah. uh, a farmer that our corn breeder works with had put down on the ground two years ago uh, and it was apparently still active mm -hmm. so we didn't get any data this year unfortunately um so we'll be but we're going to do at least three years of, of data collection on those variety trials so we could see different germplasm but also different germplasm across that same germplasm across years to see environmental impact which uh, may make a may make a difference on uh, chemical properties. And it'll be interesting to see the year impact on on these chemical processes, um, on these chemical profiles. I we went through, 
we went through the same thing at one of our trial locations. We planted multiple times and didn't get anything because of carryover from pesticides and herbicides. I think it's something that we need to be a lot more cognizant of as an industry ah. because some of the, I, we have our farm manager here used um, before he joined um, our land grant research program, mm -hmm. uh, worked for a chemical application company applying uh, herbicides. And mm -hmm. some of those that are on the two plus year carryover list mm -hmm. um, that Wisconsin found are routinely sprayed on corn or drift there's a major yeah. problem with drift drift, drift would be a, will be an issue as well um so it's just uh grow hemp growers are going to have to be very wary of that because it's seen in all the studies that people have done trying to look at find herbicides to use on hemp for weed control they basically all found that Every most every herbicide is really good for killing hemp <laughs> at some point, um, and it doesn't tolerate it well. There's I forget the two, but there's two that were kind of better ish, yeah, but they yeah. still cause damage at certain levels. Um, I, I feel like what works best is tighter sowing densities, <laughs> yeah, and, and ultimately it, it comes down to that stand establishment to control yeah. the weeds. And um, for hemp growers, that's going to be tighter stand establishment, those row spacings, not having those wide rows, you know, that's get that seven, eight inch row spacing, um, high, those higher plant densities and, and getting good establishment early on, which requires good viable seed and the viability of the seed drops fast, even um, I, at some point, I want to do a study looking at the viability duration of seeds, but um, just from stuff I've had that I've known the germination one year and planting it the next, you know, even in a refrigerator, that stuff it drops by about half um, within a within a year of holding it in a refrigerator. So it's like we got to find better ways to store hemp seed for one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the herbicide that's down in the ground, as well as you know. We're going to control the crop, the herbicides in our in our crop around um, the weeds in our crops. Probably not through herbicide mechanisms for hemp, but through cultural practices. But it's those herbicides that were applied to something else that mm -hmm. I think we really are going to have to watch mm -hmm. because obviously it come and got us. And well, know, knowing what your neighbors are doing yep. or runoff, I mean, I yep. can't imagine some of the bad you know rain or runoff that we're going to see from one yep. field to the next as well that yep. just being aware of well it's pretty fascinating um what would you say out of all of the research you're doing i'm curious about what you're most excited about like what are you expecting could really potentially turn the table or worry that you may not find the results like i'm kind of curious what is this yeah <laughs> excellent question um there's a lot of it that's really interesting to me i i think the probably these single most interesting study that we'll be doing, um, especially at, and it will be doing it at Central State, is we're going to give some high doses of cannabinoids to fish and look at the metabolism in the fish of that, because at the moment there's zero reference, really decent references at all. There's like one paper I found that even touches on that subject of the cannabinoids metabolizing into things within the fish. We know when you ingest cannabinoids in any other or a lot of other animals, humans, rats, mice, you know, different livestock, that it gets metabolized into different compounds, which then bring their own risk mm -hmm. to them. Um, mm -hmm. But then it also impacts the kinetics of how that clears out of the system. Is that coming out in the urine or the feces and different things? And so we're going to give some some of these trout very high doses of um of these or, or doses of cannabinoids directly and look at some of that uh more uh pharmacology pharmacokinetic type um data to see how that what that turns into and what how fast that clears out of the system in fish mm -hmm. in rainbow trout and i think that's going to be really important for determining that back to the question of that threshold that's going to be allowed um, because if we know how fast the fish clears it out of its system, um, you know, then we could easily 
determine a weaning rate based on, or a, uh, um, uh, a a rate for when we don't feed them um, a hemp based diet if that's a concern or you know if it clears fast enough which I think you know based on a lot of other animals it may clear quite fast and then so it, it may not be an issue but but because of trout particularly having a lot of fat stores that's where it's why it's omega rich and these being fat soluble compounds maybe it won't clear fast um and so what they get fed does accumulate that's something we really really need to know and so we're going to look at that very closely yeah. i think that's that's something that like i said there's one study out there that i found where they fed some zebra fish some cannabinoids and tried to look at some of the metabolites they got um but they got a lot of unknowns and they didn't quantify what the, or they weren't able to tell what those were and figure those out. And so it's like, that doesn't provide a very good, robust understanding of what's happening. And, sure. and it's zebra fish, uh, it's not a, it's a, not a food species. So sure. we, that I think is probably going to be the most interesting to me, but we got to develop a lot of protocols around that um, to make that single study work. Um, but I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Awesome. Well, fascinating. So tell me what, what can people do to support you? What can we as an association do um, either to support the industry, the growth really of, of bringing hemp as a feed product, right? Um, I will give shout out to Hemp Feed Coalition. Make sure you donate, become a member, support the research. These applications are very expensive when there are not grants tied to them. Even when there are grants tied to them, the time that goes into them is um like Dr. Craig just explained, it's years and years of research and work. And so um, please go out and support Hemp Feed Coalition because it is not just one study, but a collaboration of multiple universities and multiple, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, academic that are putting putting together research to really look at each of these different um, aspects. Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing could be is it, you know, events like this where we get a chance to connect with the people out there because we don't know the people we don't know and right. until we get in contact with each other we don't know how they you know we can be mutually beneficial we're a we're a land-grant institution we're a research institution mm -hmm. we get federal funds this is federal funds to benefit american industry agriculture industry mm -hmm. and and that's that's what we do and mm -hmm. so you know being connected with us we we're all this information is going to be made publicly available in, mm -hmm. because that's the nature of what we do. And, mm -hmm. and so connecting with us um, is a great way to, uh, to do that. And um, we're always happy to talk and meet people because then we're like, oh, we didn't know this was this was a thing. We could do this or, you know, oh, you're doing that. Well, great. Um, you know, so it's uh, those uh, relationships are really helpful because, again, in this particular case, you know, we have of the of the uh, ten million dollar project, you know, over five million of it's dedicated to research and personnel for the for this particular part. Um, that project also contains some outreach, um, education components, um, and um, education and extension components, uh, which is where some other money comes. The other money comes in, but. Um, yeah including bringing, uh, we'll be bringing uh, tribal students to um, an HBCU to really, um, because we think that may be a better fit for them than just jumping to large uh, research institutions. But So that's other parts of this project um, that, that all tie together. Um, but, you know, these are, you know, we got we to fund people to do this and uh, they are they are expensive. You know, these are and the, the larger and the longer the production cycle of the animal, the more expensive it's going to be. Yeah. Um, because really you can't use these animals uh, for anything other than just the research, because mm -hmm. if they're filled with unknowns in the terms of view yeah. of the FDA, um, they can't go yeah. into the commercial feed supply. There's exceptions to why that could potentially happen, but uh, that's a lot Not more work and effort, so probably I wouldn't yeah. count on that route. Not a very normal viable yeah. option, honestly. So if you're working with cattle, um, you know that it's going to be a, 
that's going to be a really pricey feed application. But the more animals we work with, the more species we work with, the more species of fish we work with, builds the overall data pool that we can reference. Mm -hmm. So like when we do a variety trial here and say, okay, this is, along with the other papers that are out there, we show yearly impact on these nutritional profiles, um, anti-nutritional profiles, the diversity of what's out there. That's something that could be useful for other feed applications. Mm-hmm. And so that's not some, so like we're going to be refer, we'll reference the ones that are out there. We're doing our own for our own reasons, but um, you know, it could build on each other, but it has to, in the case of the applications, say AFCO FDA, they have to be relevant in the context of the feed that you've designed uh, and, and then you're creating. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting easily to just- get papers for lots of things, but most of them aren't relevant to what your particular application is until you've done it in that species of interest. Um, but if you've done it in one fish species, you could make the argument, start making arguments that, well, this is what we found in this species. When we move to say catfish or whatever else, salmon, you know, that may be, they may be very close and that may be relevant for them. Um, And in the case of salmon and trout, they're very close, uh, closely related. They're both salmonids. So, um, you know, that's something that would be very relevant um, in a, in a future salmon application. So, yeah, I love it. Okay, well, I I would love to share contact information or help collaborate on some of this. Anything we can do to help get information out or knowledge, share it and cross promote it. I would love. Yeah, to- um, I I can make sure you guys have access to everything that you know we're gonna yeah. uh, that we're putting out, and so you can distribute um, and vice versa and stuff. And and yeah, exactly. And anybody that run into you want to connect with us, feel free to do so. Anybody listening that wants to connect to us. Um, my email's very simple. My name's up on the screen. It's just C and then Schluttenhofer, all lowercase at central state dot uh, edu. Um, so make sure you write that down before that disappears because good luck remembering Schluttenhofer. Um, <laughs> I'm going to share it right here so everybody has. <laughs> but anybody um, wants to contact me, feel free to do so. Um, you know, we've had some press releases and stuff about this project. So uh, if you search, um, the, my colleague in charge of the product uh, projects, Dr. Brandy Phipps, so you can find her um, having given several talks on different things um, related to this and her contact information. We could get in contact with each other. So if you get a hold of one of us, we well, we could share it um, to the rest of the team. And um, we're very, um, yeah, just happy to connect with, with people. We've talked to a lot of great people in the industry. Um, you know, it, it's an industry. Everybody's got their own views on things, um, which is which is fun. You know, challenging in its own right when doing applications like this, where you have to have multiple people working in a kind of a set direction. Um, but um, it's fun working with people with lots of different viewpoints. You know, we have an advisory committee for the project, and um, you know. They didn't necessarily like the idea. Some of them, there was a couple of them that didn't necessarily like the idea of us using hemp hearts because mm-hmm. that's a high value hemp product. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, that was exactly the that up might reduce the price of that. But if you're looking in the context of fish, we got we could work that economics out. But this, okay. we're like, this is what we have to use if we want to use it for fish. Sure. The cake, seed cake with the, all that fiber in it won't work. I was like, that's just the reality of it. So if we want to do this and make feed and hemp as a feed option for fish, at least rainbow trout, that fiber content is not an option. Well, and I think Maybe it goes, some other fish it is. It goes so much to the full life cycle, right? The entire yeah. impact, not just the payment of that that exchange at the register for the feed, but how yeah. that feed impacts the entire sustainability mm-hmm. or life cycle. Yeah. Um, and, and, and trout's a high value fish. Um, yeah. If anybody buys trout, you know it's not a cheap fillet to go get pretty delicious. I'm not a big fish person, but I like trout. It's really delicious. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, you know, the people pay, pay more for it. So that's going to play into the overall economic analyses as well is we started with trout for a number of reasons. Um, one, because it's a higher value fish. Two, it's a fish that 
fish meal, fish oil are obligately required for, um, and we need to get that out of those diets. Um, and so it was a good, a good test for that. There's a fair bit of trout production in the U.S., so it's a U.S. relevant fish. Uh, and, you know, we're interested in, we want to see, because hemp is an open, one of the other side things we're looking at, we don't necessarily expect an increase, but we want to see if we could remove that fish meat or that fish oil ingredient, replace it with hemp oil, yeah. and retain that fatty, the high omega-3 fatty acid profile. And we think we could do that with hemp instead of other crops that don't have that, where if you remove that out of the diet completely, um, that's going to be, Health you're probably going to reduce that in the fish. Um, and that also may be some of the reasons why they don't tolerate some of these plant-based diets is because that omega, those some of those omega-3s could feed into those longer chain fats that um, sure. they would be normally getting from their uh, their fish um, fish diet. So, um, so th I saw that question earlier, and I think you know it's a good tie tie together why we went with trout. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I sure appreciate it. I would also love to share, we've done fiber trials in 10 states, 10 varieties in 10 different states, and this year we'll be doing grain varieties. Okay. I would love to kind of chat with you and you know, maybe explore or look over some of that. Um, ours are not as robust, right? Because we're not necessarily looking, we're looking for a yield of production so that we can really look at, you know, scalability for farmers um, mm -hmm. to get more acres in the ground. But mm -hmm. I would definitely be curious, you know, what varieties maybe we should be paying attention to or some Absolutely. that got some I can give a fair bit of insight on that. I've grown in Kentucky. Yeah. I've grown in Ohio here. I, I've grown a number of different varieties. And I, um, I, I could lend some insight onto that. Yeah. We're going to collect yield data on our varieties as yeah. well. So um, it's going to be a much smaller one, but we're going to use and we'll use a plot combine. Um, yeah. But we will we will collect yield data and um, to provide that information. But you know, just on my experience, you know, I could based on regions pretty well predict what's going to work um, in most most locales. Uh, and you know, because I, I do anything, this is all fun for me. Any anything hemp's fun for me. Really, the only part I don't deal with hemp on is the econ side. <laughs> I don't do the math and the business. Rough numbers, but um, and say, hey, if you're if you're running negative on paper, you're never gonna make money. <laughs> or if you're even making money on paper, that doesn't guarantee you're gonna make money in practice. Right. But um, beyond that, that's I, I do anything from all the way from seeds to process products and yeah. uh, and I'm interested in any of that, which is why I love the this crop because I get to use all these different backgrounds that yeah. I, I've got training in and it's just such a fun plant. Well, I sure appreciate it and I appreciate all the work you're doing. I would love to, like I said, continue to collaborate or you know support anything that we can do moving forward to assist on research. I am adamant to avoid wasting dollars doing the same thing. So if we can yep. you know, build on the existing research or really complement it, um, I know that's what we would be all about. So I'll be in touch. And again, if there's anything you need, same with any, anything else, anybody else online, if you guys have questions for Dr. Craig or myself, don't hesitate to reach out to either of us. Our contact information is shared. And if you have, have specific questions that we weren't able to answer today, let me know. Um, equally as much, Dr. Craig, if you have students or other people that you're working with that have research or are, are have some, some projects, what I'd be really interested in is like plant-based materials that are being developed through your university or in okay. some of those divisions. Yeah, we can, I, I like them. Uh, I could work on that and we could uh, yeah. possibly find somebody to chat about those types of things as well. I've got a yeah. number of other projects going on and um, we got some stuff that is a little more, at least initial level proprietary working with a company, but I know he will, sure. will probably be, uh, that's a developing some new materials. So very cool. Uh, so we we'll have a lot of Yeah. Let's let's, however, we can use our platform to get knowledge out and help make connections. We're all about it. So thank you very, very much. We will be back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, you can watch it on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, or LinkedIn. If you are not following us on any of those channels, make sure that you do so you get notices, especially on our YouTube channel. And other than that, you guys, thank you very much and have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Craig. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. We'll talk later.